0: This is In Goal Radio, the podcast, chatting about goaltenders, what they're doing during the pause, and about some speculation coming out of the pause. What may happen during some of these matchups that we'll see going into the Stanley Cup playoffs, the play in round? Uh, I'm Darren Millard, along with David Hutchison, the co founder of In Goal Magazine, and uh, Kevin Woodley. We have a contest in the process of wrapping up our CCM access goalie customizer 1400 entries have been received and our celebrity judges are in the process of sorting through those and whittling down their favorites and we have uh, a winner that will be announced in the coming days also want to get to uh what's happening on the uh the website devin mcconnell a four-part series is coming up we'll get to uh that news and Mackenzie blackwood and a little bit of a, a glove a trapper do we still call it a trapper I go to my old school teammate
1: uh, David Hutchison. Is it okay if I still call it a trapper? Well, why are you asking me? I can't get mask and helmet right, so I don't know what I that's can call it. a, good a glove. point. Yeah,
2: I was just gonna pipe in and say that he's not allowed to answer. He he surrendered his uh, vote when <laughs> when he when he called the mask a helmet.
1: I call it, I, I, I call it a glove, it but that. that's not fair to the blocker. It's a glove as well. I right. Mean, he used to be blocker and trapper, yeah. and now I don't know. I, I don't d- think d- young d- kids d- know the term trapper a Come on, Woody. Do you young guys know the term trapper?
2: I just call it a glove. There you
0: go. I
2: give it the glove love.
0: The glove. The glove. uh, Mackenzie Blackwood story. Uh, Our feature interview this week, Jake Allen of the St. Louis Blues, where he's at uh, in the pause. Uh, Interestingly, he's approaching 300 games played in the National Hockey League and has, uh, just prior to the the pause, went over the 7,000 career save mark. A whole lot of action uh, in that St. Louis Blues goal. Uh, Stanley Cup champion Jake Allen and uh, Kevin Woodley uh, sits down with him. Uh, So before we get uh, too far into this, uh, just want to bring you uh, guys in on the uh, goalie customizer and the access contest. Uh, Where are we, uh, Hutch? And uh, what's the the next step in this?
1: Uh, Well, we've got some very busy judges who've got a lot of entries to whittle through. As you said already, 1,400 entries. internally we're 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 not really going to share those results but internally we're all going through them too because it was just as interesting for all of us uh looking forward to us comparing our our winners um our favorites uh i know that some of them are really standing out i loved it um for the the wide variety of designs we got and the creativity of course that came out in some of those um sort of extra effort entries where people even i mean we even got we even got video that was effectively Photoshopped. I mean, that was it, was it was really cool to see everybody come together and just enjoy the experience much like they did with the helmet design contest as well. So great for everybody to have something to do together and, and we thank our friends at CCM for, for making that possible.
2: And credit to CCM and the customizer and the amount of different color options and zones. There, there were some similar themes in terms of, we saw a lot of purple, saw a lot of gold there and a lot of Vegas gold. We mm-hmm. saw a lot of orange, but you know, I bet you could count on on a couple hands how many sets were actually identical. When you started to work in, you know, the ability to so customize true. the color on the back of the pad, um, the calf wrap, the inner edges, like there were so many little tweaks you could make. Uh, the way you use the graphics and the layering there, there were so many different little things you could do that. You know, again, it, I don't want to say definitively no two sets were the same because maybe there were a couple. And among 1,400 entries, it's kind of hard to sort. Uh, but for the most part, there were subtle differences everywhere. And uh, it's it's the judges have got some tough work cut out for them. And the interesting we haven't really laid out any ground rules. Can they side with an entry they liked because of the effort put in or does it have to be pure aesthetics on the design? They're sort of bantering that about as we speak right now you know because I've... it
0: does come down to the pad and the blocker and the trapper and 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 that design but you're right there were some really cool attention tweaks. grabbers yeah
2: yeah well if nothing I, else you know, they get extra consideration they got the, the the eyes of the judges to have a closer look at the pads themselves to put it that way
1: yeah and one of those just graphically was was one of my favorites for sure something that stood out for me was that just a couple of years ago of course we all loved to see dark sets because they were so unusual everybody was using white bases and and now it seems that most of the gear that we saw in the contest, I think was more dark. And every time I saw a, a, a pair come up that was largely white, it stood out for me. And now I'm like, oh, what a nice change, an almost white set. Things have uh things have come around.
2: And I gotta say too, we did the same thing with our set, or at least the first set, the blue set. Mm-hmm. We did we wanted it to be bold and pop, and so it's it's all dark, different tones of blue, little silver and gray in there, a little touch of green, like it's multicolored and it's all a dark set. I've since seen, and especially on this access pad, with predominantly white, with just a little bit in the trim areas, and using some of the you know some of the printing pattern areas for color, um, I've seen some that really pop. I almost wish I had another go at it with a white background because I think that may jump a little more than even the dark set these days.
0: Mm-hmm. There's so many options to the point where I, I see them in the factory, and if if this particular design that, that's in my head right now. Uh, wins that the manufacturers are going to be sitting there going, come on, <laughs> like they're, I, they're, that's too much. Uh, there's so many different uh, tweaks and colors and combinations that it's it's absolutely amazing. So we have we have the contest. Uh, the entries are are in. Judges are going through it, and now we declare a winner
2: Friday this week. Friday, June 5th. And we should probably mention, no big deal, but the judges are none other than Roberto Luongo, Charlene Labonte, four-time Olympic gold medalist, Sean Sebastian Jaguer, Stanley Cup, and Conn Smythe Trophy winner. Um, not a bad list of names. And, of course, the one thing they all had in common, they were Premier 2 goaltenders, uh, CCM Premier 2 goaltenders. And that, of course, is a line that the new Axis pad and gloves replace. So um, pretty cool. CCM hooked us up with a couple of those judges Uh, Charlene and and Jiggy. Obviously, we have a bit of a relationship with Jiggy, too. And then Roberto, through our relationship, was willing to do it as well. So not a bad little arsenal of judges to uh, pour over those 1,400-plus entries. I think we're just under 1,100 on Instagram and over... or just under 1,200 on Instagram and over 220-something on Twitter. So actually over 1,400 entries. Well done, everyone.
0: The winner has their set manufactured and uh, delivered to them. So that is very, very cool. We'll have the, uh, the winner on next week's In Goal Radio, the podcast. Uh, some site news before we get to uh, some potential jockeying for position and crease time in the play-in round uh, of the National Hockey League and that 24-team uh, tournament that will set up our traditional uh, 16-team event in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, Hutch, Devin McConnell is uh, going to be
1: launching a, a nice little four-part series. Yeah, just a reminder, Devin is the um, sports science director uh, for the New Jersey Devils. And he became an in-goal member and we, we noticed and then reached out and asked him to be part of the podcast, which he did. And it was uh, certainly my favorite interview just because it's up my alley and my, my background and we had a great time chatting together. And, uh, so on that podcast, Devin mentioned this daily prep that the goaltenders in New Jersey do. And it sounded so, I don't know if I want to say involved, I guess there was a lot to it. I assumed it was a very lengthy day they were putting in and he said, no, no, it's 10 or 15 minutes. So we enlisted him to, uh, put it together for us here at Ingoal. And we're rolling that out as a four part series. There's four different videos as he shows us the pieces. And, um, we got the first one out on Friday, which is some, some stuff that people are already fairly familiar with, um, foam rolling and some stretching. However, he, you know, each of them has a little bit of a twist, I think that makes it well worth sitting through and looking at the details. And then we've got another part coming out this Friday. I'll just sort of leave that for now. Um, the first piece does roll out what each of those four parts are, but, but we'll, we'll get the, uh, The next one up on Friday, I'm really enjoying it. One of the things that I love that he talks about, and it's not till, till actually the fourth part, um, is just how you deal with the busy, busy NHL schedule. And it's so hard to, you know, you can't do an hour and a half of strength training every day because of all the travel and all the games. Um, so they take this approach he calls micro dosing of training. And I actually think it's fantastic advice for all of us in, in frankly, everything we do. Um, instead of worrying about getting it perfect, instead of worrying about doing absolutely everything, let's, let's just take those few steps every day because over time, over a season, they add up and make a big change. So, um, yeah, really, really enjoyed the series. It's been great to have Devin, um, become a friend of Ingle. You had Woody at foam rolling. We always have Woody at foam rolling. Oh, well, we lost him. He's counting his foam rollers now.
2: <laughs> How many do you have? How many of those things do you have? Uh-huh. This is embarrassing. I can't believe you put me on the spot like that. Um, We do every week. (laughs) More than one? Yeah, one that vibrates, one that doesn't. More than one in each room? Um, No, I mean, no, that's not... No, I I live in a decent-sized home with multiple rooms. But in terms of my actual spaces, yeah, probably I have. There may or may not be one... Five the diff, the, th- There are five five, five different rolls. You ran out devices. of fingers,
1: Darren. You ran
2: out of fingers. Okay, so I have oh so so I have one of the big like softer foam blue ones that was one of our original ones that we bought. And I still have yeah. that. It's in the corner of the office, so you guys well, can, yeah,
0: because, because you wear they they wear out, so I'm sure that's why you had to get another one. No,
2: no, no. I bought the small travel roller Mm-hmm. For taking on the road, which is a little harder PVC plastic, and as you get a little more into it, you can dig in a little deeper. And it comes with yeah. the travel roller was great because it came with the three small balls. And if you've done Maria's workouts and her yeah. you know her mobility, um, some of the myofascial release stuff involves rolling that ball underneath the bottom of your foot. So the travel roller was great because it came with balls inside of the of the roller and it was great for on the road. And then I bought one that vibrated, the hyper ice vibrating roller. And so that's three and you, you still need the travel roller because the vibrating one doesn't really go on the planes anymore. The new rules with lithium ion and it's pretty bulky. And then I bought the Hyperice Sphere and then I bought the Hyperice Sphere Mini. So that I have the big ball and the little ball that vibrate. And Darren is just losing it right now trying to wrap his mind around the idiocy of Kevin having five different rollers, three of which vibrate. Hey, hey,
0: we all have a thing, right? We all have a thing. Yours just ha- happens to be foam rolling.
2: Yeah. Say, what can I say? It's um, I like to foam roll. If you're going to have a habit, it's not a bad one. No. At least it's healthy. Some people, uh, have, some people have FOMO. I have foam roll.
0: Uh, Devin's part of the New Jersey Devils organization, and uh, we segued. To, there's an interesting piece uh, up on the site right now uh Woody uh, just involving Mackenzie Blackwood and uh, his travels and adventure and journey with a uh, with a trapper
2: yeah no he touched on this now of course if people were listening to his right to the very end of his very fascinating interview on the podcast he talked about the glove a couple weeks ago but we had actually already done video with him uh, about the glove and had this conversation a couple different times over the years so I felt it was time to roll it out and As some of the other uh, accounts have have since noted on uh, social media, Goalie Gear Nerd and the Goal Net, um, one of their most DM'd questions over the past season is why is Mackenzie Blackwood wearing a Jonas Enroth glove? And so we got into that uh, in an article. He explained a bit of it in the podcast. We dug a little deeper in the article, shared some video of him walking us through his preferences for gloves uh, in the Devil's Locker Room during a visit last season. So uh, long story short, the Enroth thing is... You know, He decided to switch to a certain model the first time he went on the ice in the summer. And as we remember Mackenzie saying, he's a guy that likes to take his time off first and values that. And when he got back on the ice, he wore it for the first time, hated it. And let's be honest, after a couple months off, we probably hate a lot of things about our game and our gear. Threw it in the bag, never took it out again. Went the whole summer wearing the Corey Schneider model that he'd worn the year before. Got to the end of the summer, ran into a day where the Schneider model was so wet he couldn't put it on anymore. Reached into his bag, found the Jonas Anroth glove, and was like, "Damn, this is actually pretty good." So he ordered the model, the 580 break from CCM. Except Jonas had a single T in his 580, and Mackenzie decided to order a double. So he gets into camp using the Anroth glove. He, in the meantime, picked up a Bobrovsky 580 with a single T, and he used that only for practice while waiting for the the quote-unquote Blackwood model to arrive. Well, it arrived with the double T, and guess what? As we've documented, and this is his fault for not reading in-goal Reviews, as we've <laughs> documented, the way the glove closes will change, the feel of the glove will change between a single T and a double T quite often. He put on the double T 580 and, in his words, hated it. So he had to reorder again and continued to wear the Enroth glove until he finally got a 580 CCM glove with a single T and the word Blackwood stitched into it. As Corey Schneider said before he wore that for the first time the year before, it's like the hen leaving the nest. Finally, not in a Schneider glove last year and this year, (laughs) finally not in an Anroth glove. So one of those funny little behind the scenes stories that uh, we thought we'd bring to our listeners uh, in detail. And like I said, if you're an Ingle member, make sure you go check it out online. I may have just given away the majority of the plot, but McKenzie walks us through video and there's a, there's some subtle differences in the quote-unquote Corey Schneider break 580 and the way it's stitched up and the way it feels on your hand, according to him. And uh, we've had some other verification there, but also McKenzie has a special strap on his skates, a strap, not a lace, a strap on his skates that he has custom-built to help cinch them up more around the ankle. Let's not and give that whole one away. I'm now, not going to give it away. you got to be an Ingle Premium member and go check it out there. Not just check it out, but we actually have a video and explanation from Mr. Blackwood himself.
0: Uh, layman question from the audience. Uh, what's, uh, what causes the, the glove to close so differently between a single T and a, and a double T?
2: I wouldn't say it closes so differently, but let's be honest, these guys have pretty... They their feeling is pretty precise. Any difference is kind of noticeable. Um but obviously you're you're sort of spreading out where that break line is in the pocket itself, right? With a single T it's a very thin and with a double T you're sort of broadening it out and it just changes the feeling of that closure. It's not gonna okay. It, the way it sits, the way the pocket closes, how rounded the pocket stays. I mean, we've seen a lot of those single tees where that pocket as it gets broken in sort of like bulges at the back and then it's kind of flat out till the end. So, it's just it's subtle, but especially out especially right out of the box, you know, at that level, you, you it's noticeable. We've we've commented on in reviews, hey, Hutch, how how actually one of the big things about the last 590 for CCM was sort of dialing in the feel of the double T so that it would feel more like their 590 did in a single T.
1: And we might even have a bit more to say that when we roll out the access review as well, because we're looking at the 590 access as well. Giddy up. Henrik Lundqvist was uh, in the sort of the
0: the no man's land when the pause occurred. Uh, A lot of speculation about his future. What would uh, the next step be? Igor Shosturkin had taken over the number one job. Yorgiev uh, was also in the mix there. It was a three goalie uh, situation with the New York Rangers. Now, as we prepare for the twenty four team tournament uh, to qualify the sixteen clubs for the Stanley Cup playoffs, there is confirmation from the New York Rangers and President of Hockey Operations uh, John Davidson that Henrik will get a shot to be the goaltender. When the New York Rangers face the Carolina Hurricanes in that series, an opportunity for either Carolina or the Rangers to qualify for the 16-team Stanley Cup playoff tournament. Uh, Are we shocked at that, Woody?
2: We're not shocked at it for a couple of reasons. One, he's the king. He's Henrik Lundqvist. You're going to say the right things. Now, listen. If Igor Shishterkin comes back and out of the gate is able to play at the level that he played at before the season was put on pause, this is probably a moot point. Not because of that's let's be clear, not because of anything Henrik Lundquist can or can't do anymore, but because in the second half of the season, Igor Shishterkin was hands down the best goaltender in the National Hockey League. Looking at clear sight analytics and the adjusted numbers, the best. That's, Ten and two record. That's how good he was. His all the numbers back it up, but not only is it the fact that Henrik Lundqvist. okay oh, so there's two parts to this. One is Henrik Lundqvist against the Carolina Hurricanes over the past two seasons is dominant. Three and this season with a 947 save percentage. Two and one last season with a 9.64. That is five and one with a 9.55 save percentage over the past two seasons against the Carolina Hurricanes. I think that in any situation, that type of dominance against one team um, that recently would earn you not not the benefit of the doubt, but at least a shot. But the other part of this narrative that drives me a little bonkers, and that I think needs to sort of be called out here. Is and I heard a lot of this around the trade deadline when his name was bandied about and people like I heard people say Henrik Lundqvist is done, and he's and he's 38 years old now, and yeah he's he's got a career worst season when you look at the raw numbers 905 like I think that's where his save percentage that's the worst of his career because his career has been freaking remarkable. Until they went to a three goalie system, so until the end of December, Henrik Lundqvist adjusted numbers were top seven in the entire National Hockey League. He had saved almost 10 goals against based on shot quality. The names that are around him at the end of December in terms of how good he'd been, the only guys above him, Yarrow Halak, barely, Connor Hellebuck, Jacob Markstrom, Robin Lehner. Lehner, while he was still in Chicago and dominating, again, we're talking the first three months of the season, and Jordan Binnington. He was sixth in the league. Adjusted save percentage, he was seventh in similar company right there with Robin Lehner and Jordan Binnington. Um, as a matter of fact, he was third behind those two, fourth behind those two in Yaro Halak okay. in the NHL. I get all that. He can play. But how are they, he can but how are they, play. How do you decide
1: who's going to start game one? Based on practice? Or is it going to be like the Olympics we often see where one guy gets one start, one guy gets another start, and then we decide after that because we got the yeah. two exhibition games, right? I mean, that's going to... It's a... It's a totally unknown situation. Some have been skating, as Lundquist probably has over in Sweden. We know he has. Some have not been skating. um some will have used the time well, some won't. I think uh, this is absolutely unknown territory, and I bet you those first couple of games are going to tell a lot for a number of teams,
2: yeah, it's going to be a short leash whoever goes in I would I, but let's be honest and and any type of exhibition game will be important. But if you can't get a sense, at least a sense of whether your goaltender's ready or not through practice and scrimmages and whatever else you're going to do over those three weeks, like I would argue that the goalie coach is going to have a pretty good idea. And based on history... The goalie
1: coach will, but how many times have we documented how bad practices can be for goalies? So depending on how that practice time is used, it may not be easy to find that out.
2: Yeah, I would think that I would think and hope I I, I would at least hope that Ben Air has enough say in that organization to to, to have a voice in that. Um, Fair enough. and I and I do think that in terms of practice, they're gonna very much measure what the goalies who are going to play face. And and that's why you're seeing, you know, this whole concept of unlimited goalies is because there are definitely gonna be guys in camp that are particularly just target practice, shot fodder while, while the goalies get their game on.
0: It's going to be fascinating to see if, uh, if everybody's healthy and on top of their game, uh, where that decision-making process comes from.
2: Can I just say again that Henrik Lundqvist is not done? I know I took five <laughs> minutes to say it before, maybe 10 minutes and ran through a whole bunch of numbers. One more point. Henrik Lundqvist is not freaking done. That's all I got to say about that.
0: In the unlimited world of podcasting, I had to stop you. <laughs> i just had i had to jump in there hey i'm a, i'm kind
2: of proud that you had to stop yeah. me while discussing one of the greatest goaltenders of all time as opposed to my foam rollers or the label on my hat
0: well i, I you're right this, this but I, I i do uh, I, I agree with you. i if everything's equal i go with hank and uh, and then and then that's your fallback uh, is Shisterkin. And I, I
2: guess I guess my point is, if Shisterkin is Shustarkin like he was, then this isn't an argument. But I'm just right. saying the people that I just see too many who have dismissed Lundqvist completely based on his raw numbers when everything was said and done. And to me, in the first three months of the season, he was still Henrik Lundqvist, and that's and the you point take great really offense to, to that. Make. I do. I am personally like offended.
0: Unless I'm misjudging, unless I'm like not hearing it no, no. right, It sounds no, like no. You're, you're great
2: Deep, offended deeply.
0: Okay, uh, Jake Allen, uh, goaltender with the St. Louis Blues, a great friend of Ingold Radio, the podcast, Ingol Magazine, uh, on the show this week. Uh, just a little bit of a tee up before uh, we introduce today's feature interview on Ingol Radio, the podcast. Woody.
2: Um. What can I say about Jake other than I think we talk about this in the interview itself. Uh, Every time I talk to him, I learn something new about the position, Uh, whether it's, you know, we had the first story about how he and David Alexander's goalie coach in St. Louis uh, set out a plan where he would actually go out and imitate Tuka Rask. Mm-hmm. before the Stanley Cup finals, like where he watched video of his mannerisms, how he not just his mannerisms, but how he moved. There's some uniqueness to the way Tuka moves about the crease, a lot of reverse C cut, uh backing into movement and how Jake Went out with David and, and mimicked Tuca and created videos so that the shooters would be able to not just hear concepts of how to score on this goaltender, but be able to visualize how it looked differently compared to what they're used to facing or how a typical goaltender might move and how they could take advantage of it. That wasn't one of my favorite conversations with him. It's not in this interview, but that's, I mean, this just every time I talk to him, I learn something new. The ball machine, the, you know, the little lightning bolt skills that that we ended up finding and a lot of goaltenders ended up buying during this pause so that they could stay sharp at home and work on their eye hand coordination jake allen was the first guy to tell us about that every time he comes to vancouver i look forward to it because i always learn something about the position and we talk about it again coming up not to tease it too much but this year he came in the season was a full just one month old exactly he'd played three times in a month his numbers were terrible like, they were sub, they were, like, mid-800s. But he felt good about his game and felt like every piece was in the right place. I think he went the next month. He was never below 900. He ended up with a 927 at the end of the season. Like, from that point on, it was just, to me, it was remarkable to be in that room, almost tiptoeing a little bit because of the start he'd had, and yet he was so confident in the process And then to see him leave Vancouver and almost the next night, it might have even been the second half of back-to-back, start this role where everything he had told me that didn't match the results he'd had started to match the results. And the lessons that I took out of that in terms of the importance of understanding process, not focusing on results, being able to concentrate on the right things as a goaltender and not start to chase change. um, I was so impressed by all those things. And again, that's the type of... Those are the type of conversations you get when you talk goaltending with Jake Allen. As he says in the interview, he's not a goalie nerd, but he kind of teeters on that edge.
0: He's made 7,009 saves in the National Hockey League. Jake Allen, what will we learn today on In Goal Radio, the podcast with Kevin Woodley?
2: I guess the first question, Jake, uh, it's a question that everybody's asking of, well, I guess, all players, goaltenders, especially how are you holding up, how are you staying busy, how with these recent announcements, uh, where's your mindset at in terms of getting back to play and and where you're at in terms of trying to find your game after two months off?
3: Yeah, you know, I'm probably like, I don't know, I couldn't put a number on percentage, but uh, probably 90% of the goalies in the league haven't touched the ice. You know, a few back over in Europe have. And, um, as the NHL is implementing phase two and you know, it, it got pushed back today till June 22nd. And, um, so it's a little bit longer that we'll be off the ice, but I'm hoping I'm still in New Brunswick here. So I'm hoping that, uh. There's going to be some ice. They've loosened up the restrictions here in the province. So I'm hoping that they're going to be putting a sheet of ice into here soon. So be able to give me access to that. But yeah, you know, just trying to stay mentally, you know, relaxed and fresh. And it, But now you know that you're going to go back at some point. Uh, again, we're not exactly sure when that's going to be, but uh, sooner rather than later. And uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know, there's definitely been some days where you're, you know, over the last couple of months where you sit there and wonder if this is, Ever going to happen? But now that there's actually uh, there's a plan in place, I'm uh, just trying to stick to my routine, stick to my workouts as best I can, and trying to uh, almost treat it like a summer. Uh, basically, is what I'm doing, and I feel like most of the guys would be in the same same boat.
2: It felt like early on, guys couldn't quite go there. Like you know, you had one foot in getting, staying ready to play and one foot into summer. Did the fact that you almost got to that point where it's like, okay, we, we know there's going to be a significant time D- getting to treat it like a summer. Do you think that's an advantage versus, you know, some of the guys have talked about just feeling like they're halfway in, halfway out the whole time.
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, this day, uh, I completely understand that feeling. You know, there's, there's days where you're like, man, I don't really know what's going on here. Like you, you'd like to take a little bit of a breather, but at the other end of it is uh, things could change on a dime and we could be playing soon. And it's such a, the 24 team format with, you know, every game being so meaningful, there's no real time to waste. So, you know, I think it's really good that we're going to have a a fairly long training camp, you know, roughly three weeks is what they're talking about. So that's going to give us ample amount of time to really get back. And I imagine if we wanted to skate every day, we probably could. So, um, and, and then we'll still have obviously practices in between, but yeah, the one foot in one foot out thing is definitely a variable. But now that the, there's a plan, like I said, in place, uh, you, you sort of got to get back into it with those two feet. And some days, yeah, it might get a little repetitive and boring, especially with the no ice and a lot of the places for the guys. But um, we know we're doing it for the right reasons. And uh, like I said, the hockey is going to be a battle, and it's going to be uh, it's it's it's, it's going to be chaotic hockey, and you don't really know what to expect, especially with all the scenarios and what teams are going to you know, come out as, but, uh, you gotta be ready.
2: Now, what kind of things have you been doing? I I got, you were one of the first people we talked to you early in this process. So gracious with your time to do some pro reads, which we're still rolling out at Ingold Mag. So thank you for that. Um, but you had mentioned at the end of that conversation, you talked about, um, having the ball machine, the the light little lightning bolt skills, and I don't know if you saw, but we talked to Alfie Michota a, a few weeks later, and he's been using that at University of Maine as a training tool. A lot of goalies have since adopted it since we wrote that story. Um, what are some of the things you have been doing beyond uh, just staying physically ready? Have you done any eye hand stuff? I, I heard maybe you you'd even dipped your toes into the virtual reality realm.
3: Yeah, yeah, I have. I've I've dipped my toes into that, and like I just told you, I'm not a technology savvy human being, but uh, i'm trying I've never played a video game or anything like that in my life so uh, it's definitely a different uh, I don't know a different experience for me, but uh, I think it's a good one it, it's pretty it's opened my eyes to quite a few things and uh, it's actually fun so it's enjoyable to do um, but yeah, you know I have the the lightning bolt, the skills machine, and you know fortunate for me, I have our artificial ice here as well in my detached garage where I have my gym so Uh, I had a little buddy who hooked me up with with the new net every summer who uh, when they take out ice at certain arenas will bring me a net and so I I have had a a net and artificial ice and uh, just I I shoot a lot of pucks Um, you know I always have and uh, stick handling just those things trying to uh, emulate as many things that you do in practice or games into your summer as possible I know working out agility all that stuff but uh, you're trying to look for resources that you can add into your game right now. And uh, you know, anything you can keep you related to that a little bit is, is crucial. And I even, I have rollerblades as well. You know, I put rollerblades on a few times, but um, you know, the artificial ice is a little bit better.
2: Now, I know as a guy who's worked on the artificial ice before, cause we've got a lot of goalies um, asking questions about it. And like you said, hopefully uh, we're going to see ice back in rinks soon. Uh, here in BC, they've they've opened up some of the private rinks to small group sessions, one-on-ones, training like that. But not everybody's able to access that. And we do have a lot of people that are looking for alternative. They're looking at slide boards. They're looking at artificial ice. As a goalie who's used it in the past, where are some of the differences? Is there anything you can tell us in terms of you know maybe do's and don'ts for training on it? Things that you think it helps with and things that you would be wary of you know, trying to do on artificial ice, maybe even could build bad habits once you transfer to real ice? Is there anything you've found over the years that works sort of best practices on artificial ice?
3: Yeah, no, for sure. I agree with that. Um, you know, I've skated on a few different types of artificial ice. Some are actually better than others, but you know, I'm just going to go off with the one that I have here. And, um, it's basically what I've been doing is very simple, uh, movements. because I feel like if you make a drill too complicated on artificial ice, it sort of gets unrealistic. I find sometimes artificial ice, depending on your skates, your sharpness, you might not be able to push and catch really quickly like you can on the ice. Um, and the majority of my work is all done on my feet. Um, I rarely go down. Maybe if I do go down, it's a stationary drop. It's no real slide into it. Maybe, maybe a little bit of a, you know, a, a butterfly lean almost type, you know, shuffle and drop, but really no major sliding. I, I really never use it for sliding. Um so yeah, it's basically a one one push to two push uh drill patterns, which I use because then you know you, you're going slow. I really don't like going fast because then again, it's not as true as as the ice obviously is. And uh for me it's it's just very simple mechanical things that sort of get the feel of your feet and the gear. And things like that back, uh, which is the biggest thing for me right now. And I've used it ever since I was you know, a young kid training at different facilities and things like that. And it's definitely gotten better. But at this stage of my career, I think it's just very simple movements that uh, it's sort of just the feel of the gear and the feel of your stance and in the proper mechanics.
2: I was going to say the proper mechanics of simple movement. I think if there's one lesson I've learned covering NHL goaltenders over the years and then talking to young goalies, it's how sometimes maybe the kids overlook the importance of doing those simple movements drills they might find boring at a young age but you guys are working on those things and and doing them right and and you know executing those simple pushes you know with with a perfection and a precision how important that is right up to the NHL level even being in in the league as long as you have already
3: yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think, I think to be honest, most of us, probably most of you ask the NHL goalies around my age or a little bit older, we've all probably went backwards a bit on our drills. You know, we, when you're a kid, you, you start off with the basic mechanics, then you develop technique and speed and then you sort of get all over the place and you're doing all these crazy drills. And then as you get older and you do this for a living and you get to understand the goaltending position more and more and more and about yourself. Uh, it sort of tends to go backwards a little bit. And, you know, for me, especially, I, I think 80% of my drills are very simplistic. You know, if you watch me from afar, you'd be like, oh, this seems very boring or it, it should be a little bit more harder than this. But I think that really helps my game. It keeps me under control, keeps my mechanics right. And I sort of just let the rest, all the things that you've learned over your career and your life and your athleticism take, take control after of that. But yeah, you're definitely right. I think, uh, I think for us NHL guys, those mechanics, those simplicity, the, the movements, and and just slowing it down a little bit uh, definitely pays dividends in the end.
2: Okay, now I got to ask a little more. I need a little more detail on the virtual reality. Are you using the Neuro Trainer, or if, if it's okay to ask in terms of brand, like what's that been like to dive in for you? I, like, I'm not sure how much, whether you've used uh, online visual tools in terms of vision training before you know i talked to a a wide range of guys some of the younger guys have grown up with this other guys have never seen it before was this a first for you and and what's it been like to to have a headset on and paddles in your hand and reacting to balls do you feel like it could translate
3: uh yeah yeah there's definitely correlation there you know you see a lot of the you know you, you can't simulate exactly what a NHL goalie's doing. You know, these things are all variables that you think you can implement in your game and your life somehow. But um, for me, it it was just an experience that said, look, I'll give this a whirl. And you know, I I've been pretty impressed with it. My eyes have been open quite a bit. Um, Usually I didn't really know what, what to expect going in. And yeah, all these, it's probably some 10 year old kids that could kick my butt in these things at the beginning. But uh, just because I'm so, uh I've never really played a video game before in my life so I it just took me a little bit to get the feel the timing down but you know you do see the improvements you, you see your scores and you 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 know you, you go back and you do testing again every couple of weeks and so it's, it's cool to see the improvements so you know that you're making strides in it and um you know that's really the only comparison I can put it to right now because I haven't been able to get on the a so uh, it's definitely a definitely a cool tool to have, and you're right. A lot of people I, I've heard of or talked to have used them in the past, and especially younger kids coming up, and um, it's a pretty neat tool.
2: Do you see it from, like, as it was introduced to you, and in terms of, obviously, this is a time where you're looking for any advantage. You can't get on the ice. You can't do a lot of things you normally would. Um, not so much just the reactive element, but the cognitive training aspect of it, because a lot of these... As much as there's that reactive hand element with it with the virtual reality model you're using, a lot of the ones that maybe come up short of that and are more about vision and and actual cognitive training, being able to process things faster, is that part of the pitch for you to to try something like that?
3: Yeah, I don't think it's really the reaction stuff that I'm really worried about right now. You're the other part that you just said about the cognitive side of it about um trying to get your brain to do two or three things at once, you know, uh, while something else chaotic is going on is, is, is sort of like a hockey game, especially, especially in our position, you know, you, you got have a guy with a puck, but then you have two or three other options you need to know and where your teams are and what other threats are there. So it, it definitely correlates that way. And that's what I've impressed about the most, because that's sort of the way I think in the game is, is you need to, you need to know more than just where the puck is. And I think a lot of these things sort of, sort of come back to, uh, to the position that we play and, and uh, definitely makes a difference. So uh, I'll be interested to see, you know, I've only been doing it again for four or five weeks now. So uh, as time goes on and it's a simple thing you can do, so you definitely can still do it in season. And uh, as time goes on, it'll be interesting to see uh, how much more it relates.
2: I was going to say multi-object tracking. That's the other thing that I get thrown at me a lot when it comes to those cognitive training tools. And that really is, that's what being a goaltender is all about, right? You got to focus on a puck and 10 other things at the same time.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, the, I find the, the goalies that, you, that are the best in the league or have been the best in the past can do those things uh, in their sleep. So it's definitely an advantage for, for those guys. And, you know, everyone else is still trying to get better at it.
2: Okay, so I wasn't sure where we were going to go today, Jake, because I feel like every time I get to talk to you, I learn something new. The problem is you're always so gracious with your time. The only negative is I feel like we've had all these conversations already, so I worry I'm going to miss the best ones because our not all our listeners have gotten to hear them. So I wanted to start with, well, start, we're 15 minutes in, but where does the, you have this passion for the position. Uh, every time we talk about it, like I said, there's a, you're clearly a guy who thinks about the position a lot. Where did that come from? Where did that start? Where How did you get started in goal and what made you fall in love with this position?
3: um yeah and goal so i grew up in st stephen new brunswick which is a small town right on the border of maine uh right near the atlantic ocean and um started playing hockey as player you know a couple of years player and we only had one minor hockey team uh everyone rotated goalie you know standard stuff when you're a kid and eventually no one else wanted to play goalie and i said i'd go back in and i just stuck with it honestly (laughs) that's sort of how i rolled with it and uh, I think when I was goalie, I was between eight and nine when I first committed to a full season of goalie. And uh, yeah, then it just sort of took off. Um, I think the biggest thing that really started me, I, I used to love the Florida Panthers and John Van Beesbrook. So he was my guy. He was my guy when I was little. Uh, obviously, the, what brought me in was his mask, you know, in the Panthers jersey back then and the big cat on his mask. And I said, if I ever played with the Panthers, I, that would be my mask. Um, I always said that when I was a kid and, you know, I think the Jersey and and when he went on that run in the 96 finals, all the way to, 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 lose to Colorado, um, you know, that was just a, an unreal year. And I know I was still a young kid then, but, uh, he was my guy. So that, that's where 34 came from. And, and that's really where I started goalie. And then when his career started to fade away, I really focused on Marty, Marty Brodeur, and then, um, and then sort of just took off. And so that's really how I got started.
2: Now, who are some of the, like, you come from a generation where, you know, it's interesting, i talking to Kevin Weeks earlier today, and he was kind of stuck in between He was halfway through his pro career before, you know, the modern goalie coach started to really be established in the National Hockey League. You're kind of coming along in an age where, you know, by the time you turn pro, they're, they're, they're there at almost every level. But certainly coming up, it would have been, I'm guessing, a little more on and off in terms of how much access. So... You know, where did you fall in terms of when you had your first goalie coach? When you started thinking about sort of that side of the game—the coaching, the technical—you um, know—versus just going out and playing as a kid and, and loving it for that.
3: Yeah, um, you know, growing up here in New Brunswick, uh, there there was limited options, but uh, as, like you said, it started to become more of a more of a trend um probably when i was 13 14 15 16 years old uh so really i think it was my dad I, like for me i was just playing to play and i think he realized i was i was pretty good at my position so he he threw me into a couple summer camps you know standard summer camps but it wasn't really one on one instruction um until really i went to the alexander goaltending camp which is dave alexander my goalie coach now and father was his he's run a, a program in Moncton for oh 20, 25 plus years now. So that was my first real camp. Um, I was 14, I believe, then when I first went for a for a week session. And then I went again when I was fifteen and sort of took off from there. And then you know I went back to, to Alexander with Dave and John every single summer. And Dave actually was my goaltending coach in Triple A midget here in Fredericton. He was going to university at the time, just volunteering his time to be a goalie coach as he has a passion for that and, you know, in his early twenties. And um so I've known Dave now since I was fourteen and, you know, worked with him extensively, obviously. And um yeah, so that's sort of where that goaltending school side of it took off and, and then my career sort of took off that way. But uh, I think I think just understanding the game and, and learning about it and it's really developed since my pro career started when I was 20. Um, just playing with older guys, watching, uh, I learn a lot of, from a lot of people. Just I try to take away something all the time, and whether it's just in the back of my head or, or uh, you know, on pen and paper, I I always try to learn something somehow that I can emulate in my life or my game or or, or what. So I've always just been able to to learn relatively easy, and I've. I, I love the position. I love talking about it. Um, I'm not a crazy goalie gear nerd or anything like that. I just, I just love the way you can dissect it and break it down. And especially when you get to a, a pro level and you can really break it down a little, a, a lot farther than, than most people think. So, um, you know, that's sort of where it's all developed and, and obviously over time and experience. And you know, as you get older, you get a little bit wiser and a little bit smarter. Well, I think I do, but, um, wow. So, yeah, so that's that's sort of where it all uh, all came full circle.
2: I was going to say, I totally screwed myself there because I wanted to tell the story. I remember you telling me about Dave Alexander um, before he had started coaching pro and that, you know, how good a coach this guy was. Obviously, the guy, as you just told us, a guy that you worked with from a very young age. And then, boom, he's your goalie coach. You know, obviously he obviously spent some time in the Tampa Bay organization, after that but you had told me years ago that you know this guy is going to be a great coach he is a great coach and he's going to have success so what was it like to get to all of a sudden he's he's with you with the st louis blues he's working with you there you guys go on and win a cup together last year what's that experience been like was there ever any point where you know having you know your guy quote unquote for lack of a better term a guy that you had a relationship with coming into your nhl team was there ever any point where you worried about that about how people would maybe look at it within your own team or has it just been positive the whole way through?
3: Yeah, I've never had to worry about it and I don't think Dave has either, you know, obviously me and Dave have the relationship and you know, it was fortunate that the timing worked out that I was still here and, you know, still a blue and the position was available and it all just worked out. It was great. And he's deserving of the position, you know, whether I was here or not, he would have got the job and, um, you know, there's no, to be honest not a lot of guys on the team probably even know like they know we live or from close to uh, you know each other back in new brunswick but the boys love dave so much that they it, it wouldn't bother them at all he's uh he's he's their buddy you know he he works his he works his tail off uh, as a goalie coach but uh everyone loves him around the team so it's it's been good that way but no it's uh it's really ironic how this whole thing's worked out and how the stanley cup is is on there as well and you know, it's it's pretty cool to see and, and to say that you know two guys from Little New Brunswick that have been goalie coaches, or he's been my goalie coach technically since I was 14 years old, have meet meet back in the NHL, come full circle and win a cup. So, um, you know, it's pretty special, no question. And uh, he, he's uh, he's one of a kind in this craft, and he's always ahead of the game. So, you know, he's he's a young goalie coach, and he'll be in the league for as long as he wants, I would imagine. And um, you know, he's, he's always thinking outside the box and he's, he's finding ways to, to get ahead and always be ahead. So, um, you know, his, his goalies for the most part, I would imagine for the rest of his NHL career will be, uh, will be pretty good.
2: I was going to say, I wish I I just wish that like the betting sites would take odds on things like futures for goalie coaches. Cause <laughs> I'll never forget how adamant you were that this guy was going to coach in the league and how good he was. And, you know, sure enough, uh, you know, your instincts there and obviously your experience there, has been proven correct because one of the one of the truly good ones. What was that run like? How tough was it at times? And we've talked about this to, you know, you, to take the back seat as Jordan took off and and to embrace that role—a very different role for you—and contribute in that role as well. Is there advice you can give to other kids because it's not necessarily and other goalies even going up through pro because it's it is a different role. Uh, it's not always an easy thing for everyone to accept and yet you've had success within it. You embraced it without sort of accepting it as anything other than still your best. You've had a sensational season this year. Um, You know, how did you approach that? Because that couldn't have been easy at times mentally and yet everyone I talked to just raves about the way you handled the whole thing and still continue to work to become a better goaltender. You You accepted the role given the situation but didn't, you know, didn't see, like, you, you never stopped trying to get better throughout it.
3: Yeah, no, it, it, you know what, like, again, this is part of me, just in most goalies to tell you the same thing, older and wiser, and it, it wasn't going to rub me the wrong way, you know. We, things weren't going great for us as a group, and, you know, it, it it just was one of those times, and I could tell right off the bat, like, you know, you're a goalie, when you see another goalie come in, and just the his first few games, I, I realized that, you know, he, he was going to run, he was going to take this and run. And that, and I was, it was great. It was, he, he was unbelievable. And there was no goalie better in the league from that point on the day he started till the day that it ended. And he's very deserving of everything he's gotten. And, you know, I, I realized that I said, look, this is my job to, you know, help him become the best goalie he, he could be. And I still remember, I still remember when he first got called up and I knew he was playing that game in Philly. And I said, here's your chance. And you know, in a good way, I said, here's your chance, make the most of it. And, and that's all I said. And, and he went out and made his, made the most of it and made his mark. And so for me, it was really just, it was pretty simple. I just said, look, play your best, you know, simplify your game and, and go from there. And you know what, I, I just tried to take it day by day and, and, still try to have some confidence in, in yourself and in the boys and you know we had such a group good group of guys and we knew we had something special there and it, it just it just brewed and brewed and brewed over time and 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 honestly so did my game i thought i had a great second half that year and um it, it all just sort of came full circle and when we won and you know looking back on it, it was pretty amazing but Uh, it's funny because all this time now you have so much time to think and you're sitting around and you know, whatever the date it is, the 28th of May, or, you know, you think back and you see things on your phone or your computer, like, oh man, Stanley cup finals or this time last year, this game, this game, this game. So it brings back so many memories. Um, but yeah, take the back seat. it's just part of it. It's just part of the position. It's part of the job. You know, they, you see it so much nowadays with goalies and it doesn't mean you're a bad goalie. You want to try to be the, the best goalie you can be, but the best person you can be also. You know, I, I have a lot of respect for that is being a good person and a good teammate uh, goes a long way with me. And, so that's sort of the mantra I try to preach myself and, and same thing coming into this year. I, I knew the situation coming into this year. I just said, look, every single chance I'm going to get, I'm going to make the most of it. Now I'm going to practice hard and, and play hard and, and do the right things and carry over what I did in the second half last year to this year. And uh, whatever happens happens. And, you know, bitter again, I knew he was going to have a great year he had a great year again. He's already had over 30 wins in his first full year. and um, He's going to be a hell of a goalie in this league for a long time, but uh, I really needed to focus on myself and, make sure that I had a good season as well. And, you know, I did that. And, and now we're, uh, we're up to whatever task is next, uh, coming into these playoffs, but, um, it's just part of the business. and part of life. So I, I really wasn't, uh, overly concerned about it. I know I'll, I'll get another chance, uh, you know, here soon. So it's, it's, uh, it is what it is.
2: I was just going to say, I mean, you said you had a good season. I mean, you had a hell of a season, 927 save percentage when they, when they paused it in mid-March, um, but it didn't start necessarily, at least statistically, the way you might have liked. And yeah. a lot of people were looking yeah. at those stats. And I remember you coming into town here in Vancouver early in the season. And again, it's every time you come into town, I, I learn something. I take something away. And that's why I love these conversations. But the numbers weren't there, but you felt your game was. And sure enough, shortly after that, the numbers started to match how you felt about your game. And you've taken off ever since. And so I guess the question is, how do you separate results from performance and not give in to, you know, maybe like if there is a statistical slide, if you feel good about your game, you have confidence in that and you don't go chasing changes unnecessarily like what advice would you give to young goaltenders again, whether it's in junior or pro or even down to the lower levels that, you know, just cause maybe short term results aren't there. If you believe in the process, like you clearly did back in October and you've been proven right. Um, just to stick with that and, and not always chase change for change sake.
3: Yeah, no, you're right. And it is tough. It's tough at times. And I, you know, there's definitely times I've been guilty of going the wrong way with it. And in my career and, uh, ever since I put on the pads, but you know, as you've gotten older and you understand things a bit more, it's for me, my mindset going into the year was win every day internally. So whether we lose the game, you know, uh, it's a practice and you're in the gym, whatever it is, uh, internal wins for me was the key. You know, and I think I played two games prior to seeing you. Maybe I'm not exactly sure. I can't remember. And I remember I, I like I felt really good out of both those games. You know, the numbers weren't great. The shot totals weren't great. And, and it was a high scoring games, but I was like, you know what? We won a couple of games and it's just, I knew my game was there. I just said, just keep going with it. Like, don't change a thing. And that's sort of what I carried over from the second half of the season before, you know, I was trying to win internally, win internally for myself being a little bit selfish, but, if you're selfish as a goalie at times, it's going to reflect positively on your team. So uh, those are things that I needed to learn. Over it's take me a long time to learn it, but because uh, I'm not a selfish person at all. But I, you know, if if you can be selfish in your position, and it will benefit your team later on. And sort of that's sort of my mindset. It was win every single day, win internally, game in game out, practice in practice out. And the results would take care of itself. And you know, I, I never strayed from it all year. And uh, you know, at the end, obviously the season's over now. But yeah, it sort of sort of proved itself.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, you'd only there were only three games before, and like I said, that so totally small sample size, and yet it was a full month almost of the season. So I think a lot of guys would have let that eat at them a little bit, not playing much, not having the results, and yet I just I was so struck by your confidence in how you were playing. And so then to see it turn into results so quickly after having that conversation, it really struck home with me. And I knew it probably would with a lot of young goaltenders who faced with a similar situation would probably start to chase change. Um, And so when you talk about winning internal, winning these different things internally, is there anything you can give us that, and give some of the young goaltenders in terms of what a win is in your mind, like whether it's a practice situation or a workout how you categorize them or benchmarks you set so that you can say at the end of each day, okay, I won this day internally.
3: Yeah. You know, everyone would have a different mindset around it. Some guys would do numbers. I'm not a numbers guy. I like, again, I I didn't even look at my numbers until I think two weeks ago when someone sent them to me. I was just going to say, or
2: or, or in early November when some reporter in Vancouver brought them up.
3: (laughs) Yeah. No, but it's, no, for me, it's a feeling it's uh, because I know what I need to do every day, day in, day day out. The work ethic thing, it it doesn't really account in this situation for me. If you don't have the work ethic generally, none of this would even matter, but it's more of a feeling for me. It's, uh, it's knowing that you either come out of a game or a practice and you did, you know, everything positively could to either get better or get your job done. Right. And, And in the right mentality in a positive, you know, relaxed manner. But uh, there's a lot of little things that add up for me, but every person could take it differently. And that's sort of the way I approach it. I keep it very simple. Um, You know, if we lose a game three to two or four to two, and I look myself in the mirror after every single game and realize that, you know, I did my job the best I could that game or properly, then you know, I can keep my head up and pack my bags and move on and focus on the next one. You know, if I didn't, then we could to address a couple of things. But I found there was very few games or days this year that that ever happened. And I think if you can keep those days and those games to a very minimal throughout the season, it all everything will come together and add up. And relatively speaking, you individually should have a good year. And once you're again, like I said, if you're so a little bit selfish as a goaltender individually that will benefit your team at the end of the day. And it's taken me a long time to really learn that. Um, You know, some people take it the wrong way, but uh, it really, if you really look at it, all the greats, you know, from, you know, the 60s all up through, it's probably the same mentality that most of those guys have had.
2: Well, you you talk about that, you know, yourself, and yet the role asks you to sort of sacrifice yourself sometimes, be that guy who's out late in drills that, frankly, suck for goaltenders. How were you able to embrace some of those roles and some of those asks? And how do you or can you find positives within them? Because I think this is another thing that a lot of young goalies struggle with, you know, and it can be tempting. I think even even as a reporter, I've written these stories where guys talk about how practice just it's not – they don't think about the goalies. They just leave us out there and, you know, it's no good and, uh, you know, it's not going to do me any good. And yet talking to guys, you know, that that have succeeded, part of it is in finding a ways to get something out of those drills rather than just, you know, throwing your arms up in the air and saying, I wish they'd think of us goalies every once in a while and do what we need. Um, how, how have you, how'd you approach that? How'd you manage to, do you try and take things out of certain drills? Do you just accept that there are some that aren't going to be fun as a goalie? What was your mindset around that? And obviously you would have experienced that long before this year too. I mean, no matter what the role, this is, this is part of life as a goalie.
3: Yeah, exactly. And like you just said, it doesn't really matter. Unfortunately for the younger kids coming up, this is going to be the same way for your whole hockey career and things will never change. So that's just part of it. You know, there's a lot of times and that's the position we stuck with. Trust me that every goalie in the league, I'm sure would have the same, same thing. There's days where you do not want to get in the net for those drills, but again, it's part of the gig and you get to sacrifice yourself and, you know, you gotta have fun with it too, especially when you're, when you're having a grooving schedule, a long season, uh, you know, you're practicing a lot, you know, the guys get frustrated too. And it's a little bit of a, uh, a break for them as well. So I honestly, I, am just at this point, I, you know, you you stay with it, but at the same time you enjoy it, have fun with it. And then when your drills come, you really focus and hone in on your drills. But I think the thing for me that a lot of guys take out of it or what I do anyway, uh, some of these crazy drills that are unrealistic for goaltenders or, you know, it's uh you try to battle for at least, you know, a shot or two do the right things, but then you got to take things out of it. A lot of the drills are scoring drills for forwards, right? So it's, I think, I think that's where I learn a lot of things about, guys shooting pucks in weird positions or tendencies of guys or lefty or righty, like on certain shots, certain angles where mm, this, you know, generally the most of the shots are going on this side, you know, because of the way the puck is or way the guy's shooting. Like those are the things that I think you need to take out of those drills, even though they're not goalie favorable. Um, you might get dinged in the face a few times, but um, so I think those are the things that, over time that I really realized, and if they score, they score it. It's, it is what it is, but it, you really take those minor details because it's a lot of, a lot of players in, in short time and space are, you know, go on, you know, body memory and whatever's easiest. And a lot of, the, if, if you really sit back and watch it and realize, oh, the lefties are all shooting, glove side, the right, are all shooting blocker side in this drill. Like, Generally speaking, that's sort of things that emulate into a game as well. It doesn't matter if they're your own team or not. It's just the nature of the position. So it's little things like that you can try to take away from those crazy drills. And, and again, you got to have fun with it. you got to be loose and you got to you know, keep the boys happy and, and keep, them, keep them with a smile on their face and, and just try to enjoy it as much as you can, even though there's days where you don't want to do it, but you realize that it's, it's for the benefit of everyone involved.
2: And there could be value in the battle. I remember obviously a former playing partner of yours, Carter Hutton saying the same thing. Like if every drill we did was quote unquote goalie school drill, where we knew where the final shot was coming for, we'd never learn how to battle. Yeah,
3: exactly. And you know, Hutton's is a prime example. He is a competitor, a battler, and, you know, that's, that's his game. You know, he's uh that's the way he is and always has been and why he's had success. So, yeah, no question. You got you gotta find a way to take something out of it. You gotta go in with the right mindset is the first thing. You can't go in there if you lip you know, you're lip pouted down and you gotta go in there with the right mentality. And yeah, even if you can really focus and work on the drill for the first five or six reps and do it properly. And then, you know, realize after that, hey, is this might go on for another thirty reps, but you gotta be in there and enjoy it. But if you can get five or six solid reps out of some of these drills, then there you go. And then the, the last you know 20 you know bombs from the top of the circle or hash marks just just sort of let them be and and keep a good smile on your face
2: okay you talked about influences growing growing up and obviously van beesbrook and the panthers but then you shifted to brodeur so what's it like in 2014-15 when all of a sudden marty brodeur is there and and then after that he's part of the organization what i mean a guy who played you know a style that was different um you know compared to where the game was going butterfly style wise at the time what lessons did you take away from getting an opportunity to be on the ice and then in the same organization as a guy like marty berter
3: yeah you know obviously that was an amazing experience for me not many people get to say that they've had that experience in life (laughs) you know i'm very fortunate and he's just a great guy and such a humble guy and you know i've seen him around a little bit in st louis and uh, so that was a great experience as a goalie coach and as a teammate for a little bit was, uh, was pretty neat and definitely a memory that I'll cherish forever. But yeah, you know, he's just, uh, you know, it was the end of his career, obviously. And, but I really don't believe it, it changed him at all. You know, I had Rich Matthews is our equipment manager and he was with, uh, Marty in Jersey for a long time when they went on their cup, the cup runs. And, you know, he described me was described Marty as a goalie the exact same way I saw him in the dressing room, you know, in playing and in just relaxed. He had that relaxed confidence about him that, uh, that, you know, I try to instill in my game now, you know, I try to, I used to be a little bit more tense, but now, you know, I'm pretty relaxed before a game, but I have that relaxed confidence. And in just the way he approached the game, it was, uh, you know, I know you, again, he accomplished everything he could ever accomplish as a goalie, but he still went out there and, And had a smile on his face, but battled and played hard and practiced hard. And, you know, a lot of things that he preached as a goalie coach as well. And, you know, yeah, no question, his game was different, but, uh, there's so many little things that you could take away from this game. And he really helped me have a really good successful season. I think it was 2016, 17, and into the playoffs and a great playoffs and you know credit was a lot to that to him you know just just getting back to the details honestly there's little things like keeping your stick on the ice a bit more when the puck's in the zone or or the puck's coming at you a bit more and just just little things like that that you know eventually when you realize it's working it's giving you confidence you know feeling is confidence for a lot of goalies and I think that's a big thing he preaches well he's like if you can feel Right in these situations, your confidence will come, and you know, it's so many little things about playing the puck, about little ten-foot passes, uh, you know, shovel passes, and, and things like that that just make the game easier. And his mind is on a different level than most uh, from a goalie perspective. When you really get to sit down and talk to him, and um, yeah, just so many little things that I take away from that, and uh, pretty cool to be able to sit and watch and play games as well, especially at the end of his career.
2: That's awesome stuff. Jake, hey, listen, man, I'm looking at the clock here and uh, I can't believe I've already taken 40 minutes of your time. Um, I just wanted to say thanks. I'm actually, the guys ribbed me a hard time for always having one last question. I probably got about a dozen, but uh, we've been at this a while and I really appreciate this. So I just, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks. I also wanted to give you a chance. Uh, I know the work you do. Uh, Darren Millard, our host, uh, fellow Maritimer, uh, has pointed me to the direction of some of the work you've done. Um. Obviously, in in Fredericton, and also for the victims of the shooting in Halifax, uh, there are still some live auctions, I think, ongoing. So, a chance to to plug those, and we'll make sure we're, we put those out on the social media channels through us. But you know, on on behalf of Darren and everyone else in them that calls the Maritimes home, you know, a thank you for for the, all the work you do in your community.
3: Yeah, no, I appreciate that, and the Maritimes is you know, most people know we're a small tight knit community that, you know, revolves around three provinces, but uh, three tiny little provinces. So it's, everyone's connected in some shape or form, you know, all your friends are you know, only a couple hours away. And so yeah, it's, it's a no brainer. And honestly, my agency, Al Roy, who actually lives in St. Louis now, but is a Maritimer himself, um, sort of headed this whole uh, idea for the Nova Scotia families and the the victims of the shooting. And uh, it, it's sort of taken off and they've done a great job with it. But yeah, you know, we try to, me and my wife tried to uh, find a way to give back here in Fredericton. We have our own nonprofit organization uh, that we do a golf tournament with every summer. And, you know, obviously with the circumstances now, I couldn't do anything in person, try to do everything virtual and um, able to create uh, and raise some, some funds here in the city for, for people that have been either out of work or, you know, affected by COVID-19 and, um, just finding a way to help them out a little bit for the time being, put some money back in their pocket um, just to make the, you know, the pain a little bit easier. And fortunately here in New Brunswick, things are opening up just like the rest of the country a little bit more. So people are getting back to work, but for those little, little wild times were obviously unclear and muddy and didn't really know what we were dealing with. So uh, they're just little things that, you know, we always trying to find a way to give back. And uh, especially here in New Brunswick, and, you know, not many players are from the area that get to make the nhl so i feel like we're on a pedestal for the time being until i get too old and can't play anymore so gonna to try to make them make the most of my
2: time well good on you for putting that back into the community and thank you again i know our audience there's a lot of great takeaways for goalies of, of all ages out of this interview and i know they're going to really enjoy it so thank you so much for taking the time
3: yeah no problem at all
0: Jake Allen and Freddie Beach with uh, Kevin Woodley. But when, when I moved out east and I learned that Fredericton is just Freddie Beach. I Everybody did. calls it Freddie Beach. I, I didn't know when, when they said, yeah, I stopped uh, on the way I was traveling through and I stopped for the night at Freddie Beach. I'm
1: like, well, where's Freddie Beach? I have no idea. It's Fredericton. I spent a couple the- summers there and I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. What were you doing there? I was in the military. I was doing my infantry officers training in Gagetown, New Brunswick. Gagetown? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I so. uh, see that all the time when you drop by and it's, 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 a fascinating part of the world. Yeah, I really An enjoy amazing it. Amazing part of the world. Uh, and Gagetown and Fredericton and Freddie Beach, uh, Jake Allen, a uh, lot going on there. And, uh, he gives the St. Louis blues with Jordan Bennington a uh, uh, great tandem. And am I wrong, but are teams with tandems going to have, uh, a great, even more of a luxury coming out of this pause when we get back going? Or am I reading too much into that Hutch? Oh, I guess it
2: kind of depends. I'm what do you think, so Hutch?
0: It's
1: okay, I'm Woody. Gonna, you just just
2: Woody, you haven't would, had would a would chance you think to I'm speak yet. I'm always talking jump to Jumping. He in. always. I'm gonna go foam roll for a minute, you guys. I'll be right. Back. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: but but there are there are teams that uh, that have the starter, and that's great. That is that is awesome in a traditional sense. Uh, but we have seen different goalies switch back and forth different
1: teams switch back and forth but out of this pause where you don't really know it's just it's there it is yeah i mean more and more tandems have mattered in the playoffs haven't they and uh but uh, gosh i hate to take the cop out on this one but but as you say we don't really know what is this going to be like when they come together this could be in an intense time where having that second guy is important this could be One guy's not rolling because of whatever has happened over the last couple months and we got to have another one on a roll. I think there's a lot of things that could happen and it's going to be a fascinating narrative no matter what it is, Woody.
2: I think it makes for fascinating coaching decisions, especially in that first play-in series where it's a best-of-five. Well, we're presuming it might Mm -hmm. be a best-of-five and maybe even a best-of-five first round, depending on when we get started and what the timelines look like. going to be hard. To I know it's likely to be best of seven, but there had been some talk that wasn't finalized and best of five is possible. going to be harder to make that decision. Like, Like your leeway for that guy, especially if you're not comfortable that he's come back strong. I would say the one part that for sure is it's an obvious benefit. I do think we're looking at an increased injury risk here early in this, given how much time they've been off and how quickly they're going to have to jump back in. And so obviously having a safety net um, could be valuable to a lot of teams if their number one guy gets nicked up early on.
0: So maybe it's time to start rating the uh, the top tandems in the National Hockey League by a way of uh of I mean with all due respect, uh, Florida wouldn't qualify for that, but Pittsburgh with the emergence of Tristan Jari, uh, Vegas with Robin Lanner and, and marc Andre Fleury, Boston. Uh, yeah, it's uh, there's there's some Dallas. legitimate tandems out there. Saint, Dallas, yeah,
2: St. Louis. We just had Jake Allen on, and I'm assuming when you talk about Florida not having a tandem, you're talking about Bob not pulling his weight because Chris Dreger's been killing it. Who was just on <laughs> the podcast? Uh, I know, I but it's just it's not. I'm there giving yet. you a hard time. I'm giving you a hard time. Small <laughs> sample. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Even I mean, you could even go with the argument. You know, the Edmonton Oilers. Do we think of those guys as top level? No, but they've got two guys that can play in Mike Smith and Miko Koskin, and they clearly... The Rangers, Shashirkin and Lundqvist, as much as we talk about who will start, having both could be a nice thing. Uh, Arizona is a dark horse with Antti Ranta and Darcy Kemper. There are so many, and that's where I think we're seeing a lot of the games played splits change. It's not just Mm -hmm. because teams are recognizing that we need to rest guys in a normal regular season so we get the best out of them in the playoffs. It's because the drop-off between one and two just isn't what it used to be. For the most part, these guys can play and you can find a second guy that can play and you don't need to run your first guy into the ground because you're scared to death of starting the other one. And that wasn't always the case as recently as 15 years ago.
0: It's so awesome that we're even talking about this. And because we, there is a plan in place, there's a, a format in place. And the next step is to get to phase two in the small groups and then uh, into uh phase three for, uh, for training camp, but it's, it, it speaks to the tiny bit of progress that we've seen in, uh, in this battle against uh, COVID-19. So the customizer and the contest, uh, just for everybody's uh, last reminder, the announcement will come on June 5th, and we will have a winner next week on Ingle
1: Radio, the podcast. Hutch, how excited are you? i am so excited i actually can't wait to see what what the judges come up with having been having been through all 1400 entries like it's gonna be cool is it one of the ones i picked out or is it gonna be something completely out of left field that i didn't even see because they loved it so much so yeah Uh, i'm super excited
2: i'm curious to see if it's anyone and and anybody who submitted multiple entries because that was the one caveat we had a lot of people sent us direct messages and says hold on, can I, can I submit more than one entry? And we're like, yeah, we want you to, and we did get a lot of notes from goaltenders that said, thank you, this was fun. I spent a lot of time on this and it was fun and it was a good time kill at a time when not everyone can go out, can go to work and, you know, we're we're stuck at home for a lot of us. And so we, we appreciated getting that feedback, but a lot of you designed more than one. And when you sent the note asking, could you, we said yes, but the caveat is, don't go crazy with wild colors thinking that you can win and then have, you know, a different set that you submitted built. The winning set is the one that gets built. So we kind of threw that out there to these mm-hmm. people and a few of them were like, oh, you know, yeah, you I used to somebody's see that, nervous now. Yeah A few of them maybe went a little you know were thinking about it going a little crazy and then maybe thought better of it because they realized that if you used every all twenty six color zones and all, you know, every different color in each one that you could and created the craziest looking set, uh, that's what you were getting.
0: It's, uh, it's all available. You can still go there and, uh, and design your own set if, uh, if you're late to this party. Can't be part of the contest, but uh, the Goalie Customizer at, uh, uh, for access at CCM and CCM Goalie is, is an awesome place just to fool around and go down a rabbit hole. It's really easy to do. Uh, thanks to Jake Allen for joining us and uh, wish him the best of luck uh, coming out of the pause. And, uh, and thanks to you for being our loyal listeners and followers and uh, participants in what we do here at InGoal Magazine. It means a whole bunch to us. And uh, when you send us the notes and the, uh, the interactions, uh, what you like, uh, what you've enjoyed, uh, we love it. And uh, especially uh, those that uh, have uh, made the transition over to InGoal Premium, it's been uh, a great journey for all of us. So on behalf of David Hutchison, Kevin Woodley, I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening to in goal radio the podcast we'll chat with you next week with our big winner of the goalie customizer design a set with access and CCM goalie